Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. We were up in Anoka this morning, and I thought I was losing my voice, but it has come back. <laughs> going to read from Scripture. Uh, we are going to read from Scripture. Here we are. Uh, Two short passages, semi-short passages from Genesis that provide the backstory to the text in Hebrews that is our text uh, for the evening message. Uh, the first of these is in Genesis 25, and it concerns the birth of Jacob and Esau to Isaac and Rebekah, and the Lord's uh, prophetic declaration that Jacob, even though he's not the firstborn, Jacob will be uh, the one he uh, favors and uses. So Genesis, Genesis 25, we'll begin reading at verse 19. This is the word of God. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her. And, said, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When the days to give birth, when her days to give birth were completed, <laughs> behold, there were twins in her womb, the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called him Esau. After his brother, afterward his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red, that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore his name is called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup, a stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus 
Esau despised his birthright. Then we turn over to chapter 27. Now this is where Jacob the trickster in cahoots with Rebekah uh, deceives old Isaac who is probably on his deathbed now and is blind into thinking that uh, it's Esau that's bringing him his meal and he pronounces a blessing, patriarchal blessing on Jacob. That over, we start our reading at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. But I misread something there. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, You have but one blessing, my father. Bless me, even me also, O father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Well, in that portion of the reading of God's word, there. And as we turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 12, let us pray for God's blessing on his word. Lord, we know that you have given such accounts in your word to us not to entertain us with pleasant stories, but to teach us your ways and to warn us concerning our ways. And so we pray now, O Lord, that your Holy Spirit, who inspired these words in the beginning, so long ago, would now illumine them in our hearts and understanding. Help us to believe 
and to live by faith in Christ who is revealed here. We pray in his name, amen. So the other passage to read is from Hebrews 12. I'm not sure how much to read, so I think I'll just start at the beginning of the chapter and read down through verse 17. But our text, our focus will be on uh, verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> Again, this is God's word, and we are called to give careful heed to it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chase, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is, it, is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up or lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may, be, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, Many become defiled. I want to reread uh, that 15th verse and then go on. See to it that no one fails of the grace of God, and that no poisonous root springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So that no one sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, lift out he is. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears.
Hebrews 12 is rich in encouragement to Christian believers, especially Christian believers who are struggling uh, under opposition and persecution and discouraging circumstances in life. It opens with an admonition to us to regard our life as a race which God has marked out for us, and in running that race, to be patient, to endure, and to do so by looking to Jesus. We're urged to submit ourselves to the Father's discipline, uh, not to complain about it, to resist it, but to be thankful that His discipline is intended to bring us to holiness and the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And that brings us then to the passage where, uh, toward the end there. <coughs> Several admonitions <coughs> based on the verses that precede. One is lift up drooping hands and strengthen weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. That's almost a quote from Isaiah 35. But uh, in other words, get busy. Uh, don't uh, slump down discouraged and doing nothing, but uh, get up, move the right direction. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Uh, be serious. Be serious about your Christian life. See to it that no one fails, either fails to obtain or fails of the grace of God, so that no, and I say poisonous root, springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. Then that no one who is sexually immoral, and I think maybe no fornicator, no one who is a fornicator, maybe a better translation there, or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and so on. <clears throat> Esau is put before us, as an example of don't, <laughs> uh, a warning example. His life was marked by privilege. His father loved him above his brother Jacob. He was born into the family chosen by God to be his special covenant people. He stood to be the heir of the position that had been occupied by Abraham and now is occupied by his father, Isaac, because he's the eldest, the firstborn son. But growing up in Esau was a poisonous root. I know the uh, English translations often say a root of bitterness, but that lends itself to a misunderstanding. It's not the sin of bitterness that's being focused on there, but that within Esau was this poisonous root, which is uh, much broader than just the particular sin of bitterness, and that manifests itself in his despising his birthright. That's where it came into full view when he sold his birthright to Jacob for a dish of stew, now, Jacob was not without fault there. He could have said, well, the birthright is yours. I, you shouldn't sell it. 
I'll just give you this too. But Jacob is a conniver. Uh, he's no angel. Uh, he is a schemer, a cheat. So that the favor that God bestowed upon Jacob was not a reward for love and obedience. It was pure grace, pure grace. And Paul points to that in Romans 9 so that we can understand that the grace of God that comes to us in Christ is in no sense earned by us, but entirely a gift of God. Now, Esau was a spiritual fornicator. I prefer the word spiritual because it's, it lends itself to a, a metaphorical understanding, and I think that's the sense here. We'll, we'll look at that in a minute. Uh, if we translate it literally, uh, as a sexually immoral person, which may, which may be literally true, but I don't think that's the point. We don't know. But Esau was a spiritual fornicator who valued a full stomach more than God's friendship. And so he failed of the grace of God. The gift of God's grace was his by right of inheritance, and he sold it fill his stomach. Okay, let's look at Esau. And what was this birthright, this inheritance? Uh, the Latin term is primogeniture. That is the inheritance that goes to the firstborn son. In the culture of that day, it means becoming the clan chief the patriarch, like Abraham, like Isaac. But this is a special family, not just any Middle Eastern Semitic family of those days. The family chosen by God to be his special covenant people. It's the beginning, if you will, of his church and of the line of descent that will lead someday to the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world save sinners. So it's more than what, what this inheritance is about, this birthright and inheritance is about, is more than flocks and herds and camels and slaves. The inheritance is God himself. Who coming to Abraham, coming to Isaac, gave himself to them. I will be your God, you will be my people. It's the promises of the covenant that God made with Abraham and with Isaac. It's the future blessing in those promises. All of this is the birthright, the inheritance of Esau as the firstborn. It involves a privileged and important position as a kind of mediator between God and the chosen family. Uh, Isaac, and even more so Abram, Abraham received words from God. Uh, God spoke to them. God appeared to Abraham and spoke to him. And of course, then he passed that word on to the rest of the covenant community, his family, which included not just his wife and wives and, and children, but also all the slaves in his household. 
to be the heir of Abraham and Isaac was an opportunity for special communion with God. Pause for a moment and ask, as the writer to Hebrews is writing, how are the Hebrews to understand how this applies to them? What is their birthright? What is their inheritance? What is our birthright? What is our inheritance? For the Jewish readers who are believers in Christ, and for us, it is the glorious fulfillment of all of God's promises, the grace of God coming to them and coming to us in the gift of Jesus Christ, the eternal and only Son of the Father, who became flesh and died for our salvation. So we have a birthright. You children. Hello, children. <laughs> your birthright is signified to you in your baptism. God put his name on you. In putting his name on you, he claimed you for himself. And he claims to be your father, your God. And he calls you to trust in Christ and repent of your sins. To enter in fully to that inheritance. Well, let's go back to Esau. What did Esau think of his birthright? Genesis 25, 34 told us. He despised it. It wasn't worth more to him than a full stomach. Now, he may have been very, very hungry. We can grant that. But no amount of hunger warrants despising the special covenant relationship with the living God, the promises of God, the grace of God, God's gift of himself to sinners. This is the poisonous root that has grown up in Esau coming out in all of its terrible effect. And we pray we do pray for all of our children who have not yet professed the true and saving faith in Christ that there be no poisonous roots in any of you, but you will confess your sins every day, trust in Jesus every day, and be delivered from such. Don't be Esau. Now, the root attitude inside Esau that grew and dominated his whole outlook then was not simply that he put food before God, but that he put this world before God. His life of hunting, the outdoor life, uh, and all that went with the life that he enjoyed living, uh, all of it, he loved more than he loved God. The things I want, the things I love, I put before the things of God, and that was true of his marriages. He married two Canaanite women uh, who were very, very displeasing to Isaac, or to, uh, yeah, to Isaac and Rebekah. But that didn't matter to Esau. 
He was, I said, a fornicator. He gave himself to his desires with no care for the God of his fathers. The Lord's claim on him in his circumcision, which is like our baptism, the Lord's claim on him in his circumcision meant nothing to him. He was disloyal. It's in that sense, I think, that he was a fornicator for sure. His heart belonged to this world. He failed of the grace of God. He despised and rejected God's gracious gift offered to him. For the Hebrews, similar choice might be before them, was before them. When the world, the Jewish world and the Gentile world conspired together to rob them of their livelihoods, and chapter 10 of Hebrews speaks of how they have lost jobs, they've lost houses, some have been put in prison. The world threatens them with the loss of the things of this world. Will they hold on to Christ? And the, this letter to Hebrews is written to encourage them, hold on to Christ. Persevere to the end. So for us, is there a bowl of stew that you might purchase by turning away from Christ? That is happening to Christian brothers and sisters around the world right now. You, uh, you want your kids to be able to go to university? Well, you've got to, you've got to swear to abandon all this Christian nonsense. That's, that's the word in China under the Communist Party. Far worse even in Korea. You are interested in coming to faith in Jesus Christ, but you have to be baptized. And as soon as you're baptized as a new convert and your family finds out, who knows which of them will kill you in the night, slit your throat, and they've done a good deed for Allah. This is the world that many, many, many Christian brothers and sisters live in. There's a bowl of stew, a bowl of red lentil stew being offered to them on the one hand and threats on the other that they will sell their birthright. It's not quite as clear for us. No one's going to, well, maybe someone might. So. But it's not likely someone's going to say, well, we're not, well, yes, it is happening today, isn't it? Uh, we want to hire you. You're well qualified for your job. But we were looking at your uh, social media pages, and we found that uh, you're not woke. You're, you're, uh, you're saying uh, homophobic things. You're saying Islamophobic things. You're, you're, a, you know, you're a real hater. We can't have someone like that in our company. Uh, this is happening today. So do I want that bowl of stew? Or do I want to remain faithful to Jesus? Uh, that's, that's where we are. There were consequences for Esau. Yes, he got his bowl of stew. But he lost his position of being right in the eyes of God. 
And when he found that his brother had cheated him out of the blessing too, he forgot that he had sold his birthright. Well, he didn't either. He accused his brother of cheating him even then. But he went into but before his father, he pleaded with him. He pleaded with him. Change your mind. Give me the blessing. And his father said, well, the word's gone out of my mouth. I can't change it. Jacob has the blessing. Now, he had, he had some words of blessing for Esau, but they weren't what Esau wanted. And, and I think that's what's meant in verse 17 when it says, he found no chance to repent or, or no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. I think talking about his pleading with his father, his father would change his mind. And he did so with tears. We said he was weeping. But it was too late. Now, we don't know what the plan and purpose of God might be for us and for our children. There certainly have been people who have turned away from Christ. And then God has brought them back. Praise God. And there have been children who have grown up uh, in well, well instructed in Christian homes and sound churches who have not made good on their baptism. And then years later as adults have come back. That's God's doing. We pray for that. We pray for that with everyone who fits that description. We don't want any of you, speaking to the children again, we don't want any of you to abandon your birthright. We want you to hold fast to Jesus. And all of us who are adults, uh, who face temptation in various ways in the world, maybe with family members who aren't Christians, and put pressure on us, Go back to the liberal church or the Catholic church you came from. Quit this nonsense. Uh, hold on to Jesus. Hold on. And as you determine to hold on, your reliance is not on yourself. It's on the grace of God that has been purchased for you and me by Jesus. That's the warning to the, to the Hebrews in this letter. If you value your earthly life and your earthly goods above Christ, above heavenly life, you will lose heavenly life. You will lose heavenly treasure. You may receive much in this world. You may be very successful in this world. But at the end of your life, you will have given up the only sacrifice for sin. And stand naked before God on the day of judgment. So against all these warnings that we should take to heart, take seriously. Think of what comes to you in your birthright as Christian believers. God says in your baptism, you are mine. My promises are yours. Receive them by faith in my Son. Hold on to them by faith in my Son. What is the greatest legacy of parents in this congregation? Not the houses and wealth that we may leave to our children, but the example of humble faith, of a humble, repenting faith, of 
piety around the Word of God and faithfully instructing our children to know Christ and to know God and to know the ways of God, the promises of God. God himself is your Father. Jesus Christ, God's Son, is your Savior from sin and your Lord. Eternity with God and with all of God's people saved from sin by Jesus is the greatest treasure. It's the pearl of great price. What good, uh, Jesus, Jesus told us, what good can it do a man to own the whole world if he loses his own soul? And later he told a story about a pearl merchant spent his whole life trading in jewels and new jewels and found one day the finest jewel he'd ever set his eyes on, but he didn't own it. And he sold everything he did own to buy that one pearl. And Jesus said, this is the kingdom of God. Being part of the kingdom of God, having as your Lord the king of that kingdom, is more valuable than anything else in this whole world, including including your own earthly life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks. We read in your word that you have opened your hand wide and have poured out on us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have not been selfish. You have abounded to us in generous grace. And give us eyes, O oh Lord, to see that more and more clearly every day. Help us, Lord, to see that the treasures of this world will one day just be dust and are worth nothing in eternity. Lord, we pray for each of the covenant children of this congregation and of our families. O oh God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will work in them, will give them the true love of Jesus that will never die, a true abhorrence of their own sins that looks to Jesus for forgiveness and for the help of the Holy Spirit to obey. We pray for those who are parents and grandparents. Help us, Lord, to instruct our children faithfully we pray for each other, Lord, where we face temptations in this world, where it offers us bowls of stew, if we will give up being faithful to Jesus. Help us, O oh Lord God, to be steadfast in holding on to him, even if it means going hungry. We pray in Jesus' name.